0: Imagine a decade of progress improving the lives of Kansas children undermined by COVID 19. It's a possibility for the youngest among us that policymakers can't sustain recovery from the pandemic. Even before COVID 19 infected the world, Kansas trailed more than 20 states in terms of child well being, based on a series of metrics uh, tracked annually by the Annie E. Casey Foundation. The newly released 2021 Kids Count Report by the Foundation of the 50 States ranks Kansas 18th in the nation, placing the state in the upper half. So there's some good news there. Here to, here to get a handle on details of this report is John Wilson, president of the nonprofit, nonpartisan Kansas Action for Children, an organization that's a member of the Kids Count Network. Welcome, Mr. Wilson, to the Kansas Reflector Podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking time out of your day. So first of all, the annual report gives Kansas an overall ranking of 18th among the states. Uh, it's based on 16 indicators, but just in broad terms, what does a, a ranking of 18th mean? Well, I, I think
1: it's uh, the, the, we're moving in the right direction. I think we should celebrate uh, progress that we've made as a state, and of course that progress is made possible by the actions of lots of different entities, certainly state government, the work of local governments, uh, the work of uh, the private sector, all helping us move in that right, right direction. So I don't ever want to not celebrate success, but I also don't want to ignore uh, opportunities for improvement.
0: Yeah, certainly challenges are, are evident in the report. So a big chunk of the report compares Kansas 2010 to Kansas 2019, and that's an important point to make in that these uh, statistics were, were, were gathered before the pandemic really took hold, which, which we know was very hard on families when you look at uh, poverty and other factors affecting children in the 2010 to 2019 are there things that stand out to you what what are just a couple of other items that stand out to you in terms of the report
1: well i think the
0: number of a little over
1: 100,000 kansas kids living in households that are experiencing poverty is alarming uh, and and i imagine that number uh, will look uh, worse as we look at next year's data as we as we see the effects of the pandemic uh, so for me that 's alarming because hundred thousand people that 's the size of Lawrence and mm-hmm. uh, it 's not just it 's not just um, kids in poverty is the problem not having income but it 's what what is the result of not having income for a household it, it it translates to food security it translates to housing insecurity and i and I think from there it turns into actual effects on the on the development of children. We know from decades of research that um, Poverty leads to stress, and in some cases, toxic levels of stress that starts to affect the biology of of childhood development, which could have long-term health consequences, um, long-term emotional uh, and mental health consequences. So poverty is kind of like how we talk about it, but the effects are going to spill out into lots of areas of of, of a child and a family's life.
0: Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, why don't you just tell us... uh the shorthand version of what Kansas Action for Children is.
1: Yeah, so Kansas Action for Children is a nonprofit, nonpartisan children's advocacy organization, and we use policy research and analysis and uh, um, legislative advocacy to shape health education and economic policy to improve the health and well-being of kids and their families, particularly those
0: living in poverty and, and Kansans of color. So this kind of report by the Casey Foundation is kind of right in your wheelhouse in terms of the policy issues that you try to address in the State House. What just for the people who aren't f- familiar with the Casey Foundation, they are? So the Casey Foundation is a foundation, a national foundation that makes
1: investments in organizations that, that shape policy to improve these areas of economic well-being, education, health and, uh, and family and community supports. And so they, they are a funder of Kansas Action for Children through, our, through the Kids Count Network. And I think they also do an important work in elevating particular policies too. Um, they, they are involved in foster care work as well as Kids Count and a number of other issues, including um, supporting um, uh, state fiscal policy to make sure states are making investments in kids and families.
0: So part of what the foundation is doing is compiling the statistics and doing it on an ongoing annual basis, even though it's a bit of a lag uh, in terms of the numbers. To give policymakers, the actual lawmakers, and so forth, and people like yourself, something to hang their hat on when they make an appeal for a certain policy. I mean, these numbers are important.
1: Right. Yes. So <laughs> data is critically important, and one of the things that uh, we try to do at Kansas Action for Children is help people understand the data, uh, uh, whether it's a state context or a national context, but also try to dig deeper to the extent possible. Uh, we're trying to disaggregate data by race and ethnicity so that. When policymakers are coming up with solutions, one, they can try to engage people who are directly impacted by those policies so that they create a better solution and make sure that uh, what is proposed is actually going to move the needle on it. Uh, so that's that's the role that we're trying to play. Data, critically important, uh, more important to frame that data and contextualize that data. But we also know that data alone isn't enough to, to compel policymakers to, to change certain things. So it takes advocacy. It takes Uh, organizations like KAC and our partners, but it also takes individual Kansans seeing that data and um, sharing their concerns with lawmakers Mm -hmm. and other people in power.
0: I know there's a belief at Kansas Action for Children that Kansas should expand eligibility for Medicaid. Um, there, There are a dozen states that haven't haven't done so and Kansas is among those. So, would expansion of Medicaid, for example, help provide more insurance coverage to kids. I think the report suggests from 2019, there's over 40,000 children in Kansas that don't have health insurance benefits. The national average is about 6%. And I think that's kind of right where Kansas is, if I remember correctly. So help us understand what Medicaid expansion might do for kids. Yeah, there are 43,000 children, according to the recent release,
1: that don't have health insurance. And what we know is that when parents have health insurance coverage, their, their kids are more likely to be covered. They are, in, they are connected to the health care system. And uh, so, so that's why KAC has always been an advocate for expansion of Medicaid. When parents are covered, kids are more likely to be covered. And of course, when, when kids and, and parents have health insurance, they're less likely to uh, experience financial ruin when they have to visit a doctor. So, and from my earlier comment, when when you don't have the stress of whether or not you can pay a doctor's bill and you don't have the stress of whether or not you're going to be able to put food on the table, that, that has a, a real benefit to the development of children. So I think a lot of folks in the state have seen Medicaid expansion as kind of an adult issue or for people who don't have children. But the benefits are real for children. The benefits are real for families. And, and quite honestly, the benefits are real for the Kansas economy, too, so expansion has always been a good idea from the very beginning when states had the option to expand eligibility, and it is still a good idea. In fact, it's a better deal than it's ever been, and it's, um, and it's a real shame that Kansas hasn't expanded Medicaid.
0: Yeah, I think uh, politically, polling suggests that expansion of Medicaid is popular. Majority of Kansans would do so. Uh, you have to convince a, a handful of politicians in the capital otherwise. So when you look at some of these poverty numbers, uh, the number of children living in poverty between 2010 and 2019 is down a few percentage points. The percentage of children with parents who lack secure employment—that uh, number has improved. Um, so, so sometimes, sometimes these numbers don't go in the right direction. Uh, when I think about, look at the health category here. The percentage of Kansas kids. Low birth weight babies between 2010 and 2019 went up, and that that has to be concerning. Yeah,
1: it absolutely is concerning, and I think it's a reminder that while this report breaks issues down into categories, we know that policies are connected. Um, Economic policy affects health policy. Health policy affects economic policy. Child care policy affects economic policy and, and commerce so the the fact that we have that increase in low birth weight is concerning and i think there is a connection there between uh, that and um, infant mortality in kansas and i know over the last couple of years we've celebrated improvements in infant mortality in kansas but if you actually um, look into the data and disaggregate it by race and ethnicity we see that there aren't that those types of improvements and gains when we look at black and latinx uh, uh, households in kansas so that's a real concern to us and Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a lot to unpack with that, but we cannot ignore the effect of systemic um, racism and inequities created through systems and norms and processes over decades. And uh, that's something that we, we have to be, it was, those were intentional in, the, in, in in their creation, and we have to be intentional about affecting or, or changing those moving forward. Uh, learning Learning about the experiences of of Kansans of color and how uh, that could be shaping their the health and well-being, particularly of moms, and then by extension babies. And so, the the issue of low birth weight is 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 a is a family issue too. Uh, and I think we get back to the issue of health insurance as well. Um, while the Medicaid program certainly covers uh, moms who have lower incomes, we could do more to support moms in Kansas uh, um, while before they're pregnant, while they're pregnant, and then after they're pregnant, including things like making childcare more affordable, working with businesses to have uh, workplaces that are family friendly, flexible work arrangements, um, uh, supportive policies for breastfeeding, all these things are interconnected and so we can't just pick one indicator or,
0: and then one policy solution and think that we've done our job. Mm-hmm. Well, picking another uh, indicator, looking in the category of education, the percentage of children who three and four years old who are enrolled in some sort of school has declined a bit over that decade that, that we're comparing between 2010 and 2019. Uh, so what does it mean to have these children not placed in an early childhood program?
1: Yeah, and I should note that that's a rolling average on that statistic, right. um, so, or on that indicator. right. And so I think the 2019 I'm sorry, data, I misspoke, yeah, I apologize. That's <laughs> right, uh, it, it, 2019 data is around 41,000 young children who weren't in an early childhood program And, you know, look, the the research is absolutely clear on this, that when kids participate in high-quality early childhood education, that has benefits for the the lifetime. And so in Kansas, we have opportunities for 3- and 4-year-olds to be engaged in um, early childhood programs through centers or in-home care, but also through school-based centers as a part of our uh, Kansas preschool pilot. Um, So what that means is the the, the kind of – Lack of participation in that now could have consequences later on, and so I think as a state, we need to be doing more to make child care accessible and affordable for all families and make sure that they have options that fit the needs of their families. Again, there's not a one-size-fits-all for child care. Um, I think a majority of kids in Kansas participate in in in-home child care, Um, and so... Uh, I think the key here is the the, the child care issue and early education issue is actually more complex than I think people understand. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm sure you've, you've you've seen this in statistics, but like one, child care is expensive, uh, but two, people who provide child care um, are making poverty wages in a lot of cases. So it's not just as simple as raising um, raising the the tuition uh, to to help cover the cost for for uh, providers. It's it's a It's a complex solution and we've been working with state agencies and the legislature to provide options to increase affordability um, and and doing it in such a way that brings providers along as well. Mm
0: -hmm. So there there are pockets of poverty, I I presume, in in various cities in Kansas. I think the report suggests 37,000 children throughout Kansas resided in high poverty areas. So what does that look like in the home? For kids growing up in concentrated regions of poverty,
1: yeah. So I mean, I think uh, the the way I envision it is you, you imagine a, a block or a neighborhood where all around you is, are people who are struggling financially, struggling with food security, meaning they don't have enough to eat, might be struggling to keep utilities going, might be struggling to pay the rent, uh, and and all of that has the effect again of of um, creating enormous amounts of stress in a household. And that stress has a real impact on the development of children and also uh, on, on parents. Uh, so we know that when when parents can have their basic needs met, um, uh, they can be better caregivers. And I think that's that feels like a type of issue that we could get bipartisan support for, that uh, let's make sure that, that every household has their basic needs met one way or another so that they can be the supportive Nurturing caregivers that we know that children need and so that also they can go to work focused on work Not focused on whether or not their kids are okay or whether or not their kids are safe because they couldn't afford childcare, So they left them with a neighbor all of these things are so important. And so It is um, in some cases. It feels like the problems are so interconnected and insurmountable that what do you do, but um, I, I think uh, we, we there are options out on the table and we and maybe later we can talk about some of the options that we can that the legislature can do or congress can do to support these things but the bottom line is uh, almost anything uh, out there before the legislature or before the governor uh, are issues that ultimately are going to affect kids and families whether or not they are directly connected
0: i think your points well taken that the tentacles of this broader issue uh, education affects health health affects education and it is it is a complicated issue, but you have to just nibble at the edges and keep working at the big circle of, of challenges, I think. Um, probably work never done. <laughs> That's true.
1: And it's, and it's especially uh, challenging in a state like Kansas where I think there's a strong ideological uh, difference in the role of government. And I believe, and Kansas Action for Children believes that there is an important role for government to play in addressing intractable problems like poverty Um, and that there is a way that when we have a well-functioning government which includes well-supported, well-staffed programs that help kids and families, then that's going to help the economy thrive as well.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to step back just for a second. I'm curious, you know, in terms of access to medical care, uh, quality, uh, efficient, economical access to health care, does that have any effect on whether or not children are going to get vaccinated for COVID-19 going forward? So
1: I, I think that's a really good question, and, and, and maybe it's, um, we can look at the data around just kids getting any, any type of immunization. When they have a health care home, a primary, primary care provider that they see regularly, they're more likely to be up to speed on regular immunization. So I think absolutely, lack of access to health insurance then means lack of access to a doctor, which then means uh, less likely to get the important immunizations and just overall checkups that are uh, necessary for 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 young children and, and children in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say, I, I, I think it's absolutely still the case that if anybody wants a COVID-19 vaccine, um, regardless of their income level,
0: they're not going to pay for it. Yeah, that's an important point. So look in your crystal ball just a little bit here for a second, and think about the next year's report. So the analysis of, of reality in 2020, when that gets combined into a report next year by the Casey Foundation, kind of what do you think you're going to see? I, I could make an argument in my mind that because of the influx of federal dollars that the poverty numbers are going to go down, but maybe COVID threw so many people out of work that poverty went up. I'm just, I just don't know.
1: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good question. And, uh, and so, I, I, I don't know if it'll be a wash or, or whatnot, but I think factors like the direct payments from the federal government to households uh, certainly help lift uh, households out of poverty. Um, but if those don't continue, then obviously that's a temporary uh, boost. Other things like the child tax credit that we're gonna be seeing direct payments um, starting in July, uh, going to households for the child tax credit from the federal government, those are gonna help families make ends meet. So those are really important things but we also saw you know millions of people leave the workforce particularly women um, to address uh, who are who disproportionately um, take care of childcare needs what effect is that going to have what effect is that going to have on um, health and stress related to that so I, I would predict that we might see some changes in the education indicators uh, as a result of kids leaving childcare for health and safety reasons or cost reasons um, and we might see changes to the economic well-being. Um, so it could be that we need to wait a couple of years to see the full, the full effect and see
0: how things shake out. Yeah, we don't, we don't really understand the full impact of what COVID has done to the economy. I think if you're, I don't know, a fat cat lawyer or something, you just trot back into the law office and resume your work. But if you had packaged together three part-time jobs to try to earn a living, uh, welding those back together again is really complicated and difficult. It is
1: really complicated, and I think you know. I think about my own experience of of the pandemic. I mean, I'm in a room with you for the first time uh, that I've been in a room with anybody without a mask uh, for an interview like this in a year. Mm-hmm. I've been able to have income working from my basement uh, for the last year, over a year. Uh, my ch- my children are at home. We 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 pulled them out of child care, and so uh, we've been juggling that. It's been stressful, but it's certainly not been what Thousands of other Kansans have experience that are, that are just uh, situations I can't imagine. And I think, I think that type of uh, reflection on our own experience is important to understand uh, before we make broad generalizations about the worthiness of people for, these, for, for programs like child care subsidy or Medicaid and things like that. Um, I, I feel like the, there is a lack of empathy in the legislature in particular of understanding what it's like for, for people who are experiencing poverty and um, because I don't think we spend enough time with people who are different from us, different politically, different from an economic perspective, different from a race and ethnicity perspective, um, it becomes really easy for us to other them and make policy decisions uh, without uh, thinking about their real impacts. And so that's something that I'm excited to, to start um, uh, addressing now that things are starting to be a little more uh, a little safer to move, ab- move about the state is I want uh, personally want to connect with more areas of the state to understand yeah. what these indicators look like on the ground, but also I want to bring lawmakers along in that understanding as well, and I hope that we, that, that many of them are receptive to experiencing what it's like for many of these families to
0: to go through. So maybe because uh, vaccination and other issues you can get back on the road and you yourself, as well as uh, these political leaders, could maybe have a better opportunity to walk in the shoes of others.
1: Absolutely, I was at a conference one time and I heard somebody say uh, that he hopes that people can see uh, in the faces of other kids, the face of their kids, mm-hmm. um, and, and that was really powerful to me. Uh, it, it, is, it is a different way to talk about walking in another person's shoes. Um, but it is it is, is essential that we do that. It's essential if we're going to make good policies and if we're going to make policies that are actually going to um, uh, bring everybody
0: along. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Casey Foundation made a handful of recommendations, several steps moving forward. I was wondering if you could help us uh, think about each of these in terms of Kansas. You had touched on the child tax credit. I think the pandemic expanded that tax credit. One of the recommendations is to make that improvement permanent. Can you just explain? Oh yeah, I
1: think that's a, a fantastic recommendation and uh, fully support it. So one of the one of the changes from this uh, the tax credit is making it a refundable tax credit, meaning if a filer uh, doesn't owe tax t- owe any income taxes, they can they can still receive the credit. So that's huge.
0: So so one element of that, you could be so poor that you don't owe income taxes. However, you could be eligible for essentially a payment compensation in terms of uh, taking care of a child. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So t- traditionally
1: the child tax credit has benefited middle and, middle and upper income households and so these these uh, tweaks to it really uh, I think are, are a game changer particularly for those ex- uh, for low income households. Okay. So it absolutely should be made permanent and I hope that
0: Congress can can get behind that idea. Mm-hmm. So that's a federal level reform something more closer to home uh, The Casey Foundation recommends that states and and local governments prioritize support in hard-hit communities of color. Has Kansas been trying to do that with COVID money, or is is that a shortcoming of Kansas? So I think that the administration has been doing a nice
1: job putting together representative bodies to uh, provide advice on how to spend COVID dollars. We're seeing it in child care. We've seen it in... um, uh, Um, kind of aid to local governments and those sorts of things. So we need to continue that because representation matters on how we spend our money. And we need new and different voices brought to the table who are traditionally overlooked by policymakers to help inform where that money should go. Um, I think the people hardest hit by the the pandemic and the corresponding uh, economic hardships should be at the table
0: helping to make those decisions. Another recommendation was to expand unemployment benefits to contract and gig workers. During the pandemic, they were included. It was a little bit confusing for the Labor Department to figure that out, as we discovered. But do you think that's a likely reform or unlikely? You know, it's hard for me to tell um, uh, for
1: previously mentioned ideological differences about the role of government. But I I, I think one of the challenges in this is there probably aren't enough people in the legislature who have experienced gig work, who... Mm. Uh, have had to cobble together multiple jobs to make ends meet and so again this is an example where representation would be really helpful and I think we are seeing um, younger generations and different uh, folks running for office and winning uh, who might be able to kind of elevate these in a uh, in a in a greater way but absolutely we should we should do this because the nature of work is changing and I I don't want um, Kansas to be flat-footed and not be able to respond to that because again the whole state benefits when people can um, not completely lose everything and can um, get back on their feet relatively easily. And if we have an, uninsur- an unemployment insurance program that can help people do that, then I think it's a wise investment.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, I, I wondered if you could, um, you, you follow the legislative session closely. When you think about the 2021 session uh, and, and I know the legislature didn't pass Medicaid expansion, but can you touch upon something that uh, really resonates with Kansas Action for Children that the legislature did that you endorse, and what's something perhaps other than Medicaid expansion that you wish they had taken up? Yeah, that's that's uh, a great question. So first, I think that, you know, we
1: follow health policy, education policy, um and, and state fiscal policy, so tax and budget issues. And I was um, disappointed to see a tax package make it through that I think is going to significantly um, dry up revenue to the state. But included in that tax package were some important changes to, um, to, to bring in some additional revenue. So I'm happy that the legislature did that. I was happy to see that some anti-vaccination efforts were defeated um, because those would have been terrible for public health. And so I applaud lawmakers for uh, preventing those bad ideas from moving forward. You know, there's still a lot of unfinished business ahead of us uh, for the 2022 legislative session. Uh, On the top of my list is looking at um, how do we increase access to work and family support programs like the child care subsidy that helps people afford Childcare, we we uh, worked with partners on a bill to increase access, and it made it out of committee in the House, but never went anywhere. And so, uh, this this again is one of those things that has the opportunity to benefit women in Kansas who have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic and the economic hardship that resulted from it. And to me, is a no-brainer. And so, um, I hope that lawmakers will take up the issue next year. Uh, I, I you you mentioned expansion, but thats still that still has to happen. I mean, there are so many positive benefits to Medicaid expansion that w- I will do all that I can, and KAC and our partners will do all we can to to work on Medicaid next legislative session. There are some other things too. The fact that um we still don't have a refundable food sales tax credit is disappointing to me. You know during the the changes in the Brownback administration to the tax uh, structure, we remove the refundability of the food sales tax rebate. And again, refundability means if you don't owe taxes, uh, then you can still get this credit. And because Kansas is a state that taxes food at a fairly significant rate, this this, um, sales tax rebate could be really great for low-income households. And when you combine that with um, supports from the child tax credit and some of these other things, those are the types of programs that can provide those boosts that lift people out of poverty, provide some stability so that... They can get back on their feet and move on a path where they aren't going to have to utilize those programs in the
0: future Mm -hmm. that's interesting and and obviously some of those issues are going to come up in 2022 and some might be resolved but you might it it might be full employment for mr wilson here uh, to keep lobbying on behalf of some of that so the 2021 report on kansas from the casey foundation will be available online i want to thank our guest john wilson who leads kansas action for children These annual reports offer the state plenty to contemplate as it goes about raising the next generation of Kansans. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tim Carpenter at the Kansas Reflector.